Hey everybody and welcome to episode 147 of the Reviver Cell Podcast. Here we go. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself Podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. So everyone, welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a good a good day. Hope you're having a good start to the week. Um, yeah, been been lots of stuff going on. Been getting lots of messages through, <laughs> especially um, if you don't follow me on Facebook. Uh, there, or just my personal account, Ryan Martin, or the Revive account. You can get that at, at uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Revive Natural Health. Then um, you're probably missing out. I put a lot of posts on there as well as I always put them on the Revive website too. Um, but lots of posts on them again, lots of comments, especially got one out last week about soy. It's, it's still flabbergasts me that most people think soy is health, healthy, health food. If it's not fermented, it's it's just a health disaster for many, many reasons. Um, also going to be doing a post about corn soon. It's amazing to me people actually eat that stuff. I uh, don't know, don't know how terrible it is for the health. You know, people have actually died eating corn. Um, it's a fungus, and the way it's grown. I mean, they won't even let people in. It's started off by a chemical company, one of the UK's biggest chemical companies, and they won't even let people in to take pictures or to, to see what's going on, the way it's made. Um, but some whistleblowers have told people how it's made, and it's not good, so I'll be doing an article on that. But, yeah, it's been uh, been good. Um, everything's been going good and got lots of good interviews lined up for you. Today's is, is, is excellent, and got some fantastic feedback on the last few episodes with, with Michael and Brian Hoyer. And Dr. Nick Berry, who's just fantastic uh, when it comes to essential oils. Uh, talking about that, actually, if you head on over to um, www.essentialoilwizardry.com, uh, you'll find the, the world's best essential oils, in my opinion. And if you put in the code REVIVE, you'll get 10% off of any order there. Um, that's the same if you head on over to blueblocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com. You'll get the best blue blocking glasses in the planet, in my opinion, from my friend Andy Manth. And you've got great, great styles there. In fact, you can send any any um, any frames over to him and he'll make blue blocking glasses for yourself. He also does um, artificial light blocking glasses for the daytime so you can wear them if you're on the computer. Blocking the blue light that's coming off of your off of your laptop or your screen that you're looking into. Um, yeah, and so a couple of things... Um, as always, if you do, head on over to www.thereviveyourself.co. We've got our shop there and all our supplements from Evolution Organics, Ancient Purity, um, the Finchie Clinic. You know, got great gut, gut revival bundle there from Finchie Clinic um, from Evolution Organics. I always talk about living fuel, the, the super greens and super berry being the best products in the market by none for an all-round product. Got lots of other things there, as well as our probiotics, um, Corella, fermented Corella um, from Dr. McCola, fantastic in terms of cleansing the body, deodorizing the, the body, lowers, lowers, uh, say, lowers um, cholesterol, lowers your toxic load, um, immune boosting, uh, great for brain function. 
Um, and all, all our mushroom drinks that are there from Four Sigmatic, any of them, add them into your morning tea. Like, for example, if you go to Powdarko, which is at the Fiji Clinic, you can mix them all, mix them all up and you can have a really good tonic. Um, and Jeff from Asian Purity, always going about Royal Jelly, very, very powerful immune booster. It's what the, the Queen Bee eats exclusively. It's why she lives seven years longer than the rest of the bees. Um, and, yeah, I mean, vitamin D3 um, and K2 there from liposomal and the vitamin uh, vitamin C from liposomal too. I always like to mention these products because they're immune boosters. Um, and, actually, I always talk about on the show, but if you want, in the winter there's no sun out, getting a, like a therapeutic dose of UVB from a uh, low-powered electronic ballast sunbed is very powerful, in my opinion. Not a medical doctor, so I can't give medical advice, but I say, in my opinion, when I do it and when my clients do it, they feel phenomenal. Um, so, getting the, and if you can't get get to a, a low powered, clean sunbed, as I say, a healthy sunbed, nutritional sunbed, then definitely want to have some vitamin vitamin D3 uh, K2 in your, in, your, in your life, and you can get that from uh, our shop and the link to Ancient Purity there. Um, let's go about some of the, some of the products because I think, it's, I think it's very important just to. These are just immune boosting products and they're vital for your health and vitality. Um, and so you know, if you don't want to get ill, you want to keep your system nice and strong, then having these in your arsenal is always going to be a good idea. Um, and also, I always talk about having the cleanest water. And if you want to have the cleanest water, then in my opinion, you need a whole house filtration system. And they don't come any better from them from Aquatea. Um, if you haven't listened to my episode with Graham Brebner, who's a rocket scientist, then I suggest you go back and, and listen to it. But we've got units that, um, if you've got a one, two, three, or four plus bedroom house, then we've got units that can cover all of those options from Aquitaire. And also, if you've got hard or soft water, if you click on our shop and buy that, you know, I would recommend, highly recommend it because you're not just you're not just drinking the water out of your tap, but you're washing your your clothes in it, you're cooking your food in it, and you're cleaning your teeth in it, and all those, you know, you're washing your bed sheets in it, so you're sleeping in them. So it's really important not to have toxic bed sheets or water that is contaminated so yeah that's it for that part well today um oh yeah and also forgot sorry if you haven't already head over to www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com where you can get my book um because you know i'm trying to one of the big things i've actually got is i want to try and affect a million people's lives and I can get the information out that can help them that's one of the reasons i actually I did the book in the first place is just because I want people to understand whatever chronic health issue they're going through, it doesn't have to be that way. They don't have to live in pain. They, there is another way, and that's letting the body heal and getting out of its way. So the chronic fatigue solution, the three big secrets to healing chronic illness, you can get that at www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com. And you've also got the option of an audio book version there as well. So if you don't like to read, you can get the audio version, which will... Which, in my opinion, is all, is all I buy is audio books. <laughs> but, um, you know, because it's funny, um, only 7% of the world do best learning through reading. The rest do best through listening or through watching. Um, so, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, you, that's why I say, don't feel bad if you don't feel good um, or don't understand or don't absorb information through reading because a lot of people don't. Um, so that's why we've got the option there of the audio book. And 
yeah, if any of you have ever had the pleasure of making an audiobook, let me know how that went. <laughs> but it's it's a good option and getting lots of great feedback from the book actually. It is keeping getting messages through saying people people saying that how much it's uh, opened their mind to certain aspects, especially regarding the gut, um, gut health and you know, our gut has got more neurons than our our brain and spinal cord combined. That's how important it is. So if you haven't got the book then www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com that will um you can get it there as i said before hardback or audio version and also i just want to add i know there's been a few delays um with the book we've actually had problems with the raw mail and also my publisher hasn't been great so i'm changing my publisher so i want to get that out to you um so if you are having a bit of a delay just hold tight send me an email i'll try and get i'll, I'll look into it for you but it will be with you remember the book it doesn't actually i'm not actually getting anything from the book you're just paying for postage and packaging literally printing postage packaging it goes out to you i'm not getting anything from the book because i want this information just to go out to everyone and so if you have it take, we should take about 10 working days so it can be three weeks um because it's got to be printed etc but just hold tight send me an email and i'll get it to you you know my integrity is everything and these delays have, have stressed me out a little bit because i want people to get the information i'm not here to rob anyone of their money um i just want you to get the information so let me know if it's been a while and i'll, I'll get on to it otherwise it'll be with you shortly now on to today's episode today's episode is with uh, a young man called elliot overton um, first come across Elliot whilst talking with Phil Escott, a uh, great, great uh, friendly guy, Phil Escott. Um, and he was telling me how, how knowledgeable Elliot is and um, who Elliot deals with and he, Elliot, how Elliot had his own health issues and how he overcome them. So I thought it'd be great to have Elliot on the show and we chat about lots of different topics, including like his own health journey, how he got into what he does, why having a plant based diet isn't the isn't the answer for everyone um in fact we're going to people he doesn't work with and also why certain ingredients in plants can cause issues and we go deep into oxalates if you haven't heard what an oxalate is then i think it's time to listen up so here he is here's Elliot. here's the show enjoy and i'll see you on the other side excellent you're good good day yeah yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. It's been, uh, yeah, just well, a lot busy, busy, as I guess you are. Everyone's uh, everyone's ill, so yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, quite. So, my man, it's been good to, to finally get you on because I've had, um, well, Phil Escott talks very highly of you, so I thought it'd be good to have a uh, conversation. Oh, cool. Yeah, and um, listen to a couple of the uh, things you've done on oxalates. And you know what? It's a topic that I'd actually like to go into today around other stuff as well. Because it is actually a topic that I'm, I've known about, it's probably like you have for, for years and years, but it's something that actually gets overlooked quite a lot, um, especially in as you know, in today's today's uh, way it's gone in terms of everyone's going, let's go plant-based, and people just going, mm, don't know how much of a problem that can be. And people get good results to start with because they drop out all the rubbish that they've been eating, but then yeah. after a while down the line. So... We'll just, get, we'll just get into it, my man, like, um, because uh, reading through your bio and stuff, you said you had some minor health issues yourself when you were traveling. What, what were they? Um, so I developed quite severe what you would probably call post-infectious IBS. Uh, so that was essentially uh, I was traveling around India. And as you can imagine, I mean, from the, the word deli belly, 
kind of thing you come to contact with a, a wide variety of kind of pathogenic organisms that you're not ordinarily going to be coming into contact with in the western world so actually the the immune system is less able to deal with that right and so typically westerners can get quite sick in these kind of tropical countries and i actually um yeah i i got i got i got kind of digestive issues over there and they never really went away right so there is this phenomenon referred to as post-infectious ibs where where actually if you get you have one of these infections and it lasts for long enough and you don't necessarily have the resources to deal with that or fully recover from that then you can really develop kind of long-standing chronic gut issues after that time and that's what happened to me and um so i came back to the uk and i tried to kind of resolve it that way um i went to my gp i went through all the kind of traditional ways and actually uh, uh they they didn't really help me in any way um made it worse so well i mean i wouldn't say made it worse it was just that i didn't get a resolution of the symptoms right so that's one of the things that kind of really spurred me on to look into more alternative or natural methods to deal with this and inevitably coming across kind of um, various kinds of diets and things. And that eventually led me on to uh, the Western A. Price Foundation, cool. where they kind of talk about ancestral nutrition and kind of principles based on what human beings would have eaten kind of throughout our evolutionary period kind of thing. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I, I kind of embarked on that and, uh, and I saw some pretty good benefits in quite a short period of time. So that's one of the things that got me quite interested in nutrition. I mean, this was about seven, seven years ago now. Um, but yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, when I said that they make you worse, because generally if they be going to doctor or GP, they might just throw antibiotics or something like that and once again destroy your microbiome, you know, wipe out your, your, your immune system, you've got flora and that can, if you've got an infection, do you know what, what, what infection you had? Did you, did you get tested? Did you get tested? No, what, no, I wasn't, I wasn't tested over there. No, I wasn't tested over there. Um, nothing came back. I, I mean, I did some stool testing, like some functional testing afterwards. Yep. Um, there was a couple of things that came up. I'm not sure whether it was the same stuff as what I developed in India. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I had some kind of Clostridia bacteria lying around. I had a couple of parasites here and there and things. Yeah. Um, but even then, I mean, the kind of functional medicine protocols to deal with that, even they weren't that effective mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know, the antimicrobials and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually found that, you know, a lot of the times I think gut infections generally, and this may be off topic, but I... Okay. I I'm under the impression, and, and this is kind of how I work with people now, is that oftentimes gut infections, um, simply targeting the infection itself, that can help in some cases. But in other cases, um, it's more related to the environment in the gut, right? So if the immune system in the gut is not functioning properly, or if there is kind of, there's a variety of factors which can kind of predispose one's gut to allowing these infectious bacteria, protozoa, uh, fungi and things to, to proliferate. So I think that actually it was working on the whole, the system as a whole kind of thing, improving metabolic health, improving immunity systemically and things, um, and optimizing nutrient status. I think that that was actually one of the key things to actually improving um, the health condition. Yeah, I always liken it to uh, gentrifying an area. 
you know, you're just you're making the the, the area, um, yeah, sort of different. We want, we want more of the bad guys to move away, more of the good good friendly bakeries to move in, making it, um, uh, yeah. Always say to people, imagine a plant. A plant has its soil on the outside. We have our soil on the inside, and you want that soil to be working for us rather than against us. And as you say, when you go to these places and you're not you're exposed to all these different pathogens, bacteria, parasites that you're not used to, what is that wall? And so it can be. It's there's certain things that I would say to people if it's first time there. That take take this or do this. Yeah. Make sure, make sure, um, because uh, yeah, as you said before, it's if targeting the individual thing as as I've as, as you as you found and I found as well. Yeah, it can be beneficial, but once you have an environment that doesn't allow these things to breed or proliferate, then it, you're you're onto a winner. So it's in, interesting. Um, took a snapshot there. Did it? Sorry, yeah, <laughs> right. I accidentally did. I was That's trying right. to change, change the window there. <laughs> That's right, mate. Sorry. That's all right. No, so it's cool. So, yeah, that's, that's no worries. I didn't, didn't know if you had any like, further testing like P, um, PCIP or any any uh, test, but if you didn't know, you, you, you overcome it. Well, you just overcome it for, on your own in, in terms of changing that internal environment and things just got to get better. Yeah, I mean, generally, I did a lot of work on the diet. I started moving more. I started trying to fix my sleep. And I found that that was, I think that that stuff was key. I mean, I did do some kind of botanical protocols and things. But they, uh, I used probiotics and that kind of stuff. You know, the typical kind of gut healing protocols. But actually, I found that that stuff kind of, it only provided temporary relief kind of thing. I think a lot of it was consuming foods which my immune system for whatever reason at the time at least um did not agree with right so continually eating foods which were irritating my gut which were activating the immune system down down there um and i think probably causing some degree of intestinal permeability and things likely um kind of messed up the environment so to speak right? yeah was your was your was your diet good back then so when you're saying this when you're saying to people because this is one, one of the things that we're going to get onto people say oh that food's healthy it's like yeah but if your, if your body can't tolerate it it doesn't matter if it's a health or quote-unquote health food you can get a reaction to it um, people can get a reaction to anything um, avocados yeah. for example or whatever you know um but was was that was you having reactions to foods that were healthy at the time or was you having reactions to foods that were like typically westernized foods um you know processed uh, heavily processed foods what, what was you eating no, actually, uh, I mean, this is kind of the paradox, right? And this yeah. is what many of my clients find. Actually, the unhealthy processed foods were not causing that much of a problem, right? Often because the fiber and things had been taken out of it. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I was eating a bunch of processed foods at that time because I was trying to change the trajectory of my health kind of thing. So that was one of the first things that I cut out. But actually what I was finding that I was reacting to, and again, this is kind of very common with anyone diagnosed with gut dysbiosis or SIBO or whatever, is that actually many of the so-called healthy whole grains and legumes and kind of uh, very fibrous fruits and vegetables, they would be causing more of a problem than many other things. So it actually got to a point where I found out that the the kind of only things that I could tolerate for a long period of time were basically just the animal foods and a few vegetables and maybe some fruit here and there. Uh, but generally, yeah, um, many of the foods which were kind of so-called healthy uh, were actually causing severe yeah. gut distress. You yeah, know? yeah, that's, that's – I mean, and talking about Western A. Price, um, you know, that doesn't surprise me that you went onto, the, onto that protocol. And, you know, there it always – whenever you talk to this is the thing i try not to um 
pick a, pick a side because I'm generally in in the middle. I want everyone. I want to do what works for most people majority of the time. And like, and like, some people do really well on a vegan diet. Other people get destroyed by it. Same with carnivore, etc. But um, someone's getting a massage in the background. <laughs> Sorry, I think it's the next door neighbours doing some drilling or oh, something. I'll, no I'll mute when I'm not talking. No worries, my man. No worries, my man. So what I was going to say was, um, so with with them, it's they obviously they big believer in grass fed butter, um, ghee. You know, here in the guy Western A Price went round, and anyone who hasn't read um, Western A Price's book, you know, nutrition and physical degeneration, needs to do it, especially. Because I don't know, it's just at the moment in today's society of everyone pushing this vegan uh, agenda, which we can get into. It in the long term, I think it's going to leave a lot of people very sick. Um, even though they might get short term, short term because clearing the body out for a period of time can be phenomenal. But doing it long term can have a problem. But I'm not surprised that you went down that route. And having looked at your site, you talk about how you deal with people with ancestral nutrition, intelligent movement, stress management, medicinal plants, and uh, Caucasian biology, which is like covering all, all bases, which is what most people need, you know. Always find a lot of the time these specialists, we have to say, specialist is someone who knows more and more about less and less until they know absolutely thing about nothing, you know. So it's good that you, you cover all that. But I did notice on your list you had before we get into this but it's interesting people you don't work with okay people you don't work with yeah yeah you, you okay to talk about this <laughs> yeah that's perfectly fine yeah 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 and, yeah, it, and, it's, and it's interesting cancer well cancer anorexia uh, people or people with their eating disorders kidney disease vegans strict vegans um night shit workers or people who are not radically um willing to change their diet and lifestyle now uh, we're, get, we're going to the, the, vegan, the vegan one is an interesting one I, I'm because some of them just don't want to eat meat even if it means that they're going to mm-hmm. get better which is yeah. probably what cancer go from cancer why why cancer right so cancer I mean as a collection you know cancer is not one thing there's multiple different kinds of things but ultimately it's so complex generally um the the way that it presents clinically and the the way that you deal with it, there's no clear-cut answer in my opinion. And I have previously worked with a couple of people with cancer and I kind of regretted it afterwards, right? Because I don't feel like my knowledge set per se or I don't feel like I have the expertise to effectively provide them with the best care, right? There are people who specialize in cancer therapy. There are people with lots of experience. And if we're looking at some kind of terminal cancer, it's not necessarily that I don't want to work with them. It's it's that if they've got a short period of time, potentially a year, a couple of years to live, or even in some cases, they've been given a prognosis of like four or five months, then I want to make sure that they are in the best possible hands to make the most out of the short period of time that they've got. Right. And I with my skill set and the kind of work that I do, I don't feel like that, like I can offer someone that. And I think that actually, um, you know, I much prefer to refer them on to a specialist who can provide them with the service that they need kind of thing to give them the best possible outcome. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. No, I understand. I just feel like your approach um, as with most of the guests I get on this get on this would be one that started to create health. So I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But it, it was just like I feel like people would benefit from listening 
to yourself as well. I mean, but that's just my opinion. Um, anorexia, this is the other one. Had had challenges with people with, with eating disorders. Well, when I say anorexia, there's two forms. There's a clinical form. There's like physiological anorexia, which is essentially where the appetite, the parts of the brain which regulate appetite are kind of shutting down or there's a dysregulation in the feedback loops involved in appetite. So actually they they can't physically get hungry. I will work with these people. It's the anorexia nervosa that I will not work with. And the reason for that is because aside from kind of there are very real or well-established physiological changes in anorexia nervosa, like things like chronic nutrient deficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, there is almost without doubt a very strong emotional component there, right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes many people um, with anorexia nervosa will tend to benefit as per my kind of rudimentary understanding, and I don't have much experience in this area, but the idea of restricting foods can actually, um, it can very much kind of um, compact their condition, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it can kind of make that, yeah, it can reinforce the emotional issues that they have around food. And ultimately, a lot of my work is actually based on restricting foods. I find that the best clinical outcomes come when it's usually not adding that much. I mean, yeah, there are some foods that I tell people, yeah, okay, we need to add these in, we need to add these in, and we need to add these in. But ultimately, a lot of the benefits, you'd be surprised, are actually coming from taking out foods. And the problem is, is that if if I'm going to work with someone with anorexia and reinforce this idea that there's certain foods which can be causing them problems, then that could potentially be misinterpreted in a way that, you know, kind of reinforces their emotional or their, yeah, their unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. And yeah, so it's just somewhere that I don't personally go. Fair enough, man. No, no. We sort of get you cutting in and out there, but that's all right. We're going to knock on the wall, get, get rid of him, whatever he's doing. <laughs> well, is this your office you work in? I'm currently at home. All right. I, I don't work on Fridays and Wednesdays. Oh, that's cool. Cool, cool. No worries. I didn't know if it was not safe. Your patients come in, that would have drive them insane. But that's all right. Um, so, the next one was kidney disease. Yeah, okay. So, kidney disease, again, when you're kind of at end-stage kidney disease, then... Ultimately, there's very little that I can do as a nutritional therapist in terms of supporting them with nutritional supplements. Um, Some of the kind of dietary recommendations that I can give, there's a lot of nuances with chronic kidney disease. For instance, protein intake, there is a possibility that that may need to be restricted. And really, that needs to be something which is kind of fleshed out by like a registered dietitian who has experience with these kind of, you know, with with chronic kidney disease. It's um, again, there's always room for kind of, you know, it's not a black and white thing. But ultimately, if someone's at the end stage where they're requiring dialysis, then I'm not going to work with them because there's too many variables. And there's things that I could be recommending that I am unaware that could actually cause them problems. Yeah, right? fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. And so, I mean, night shift workers, I understand, um, you know, just not giving their body enough time to, to literally rest and repair. And they're just constantly, yeah, most of them are constantly in their um, parasite, the sympathetic nervous system. They're just really yeah. stressed. Don't allow yeah. the body to, to, to get. And people, obviously, that aren't willing to change their diet and lifestyle, I get it because at the end of the day, most people do. You know, these, the uh, Western lifestyle, 
as you say, you know, more inte- we're more intelligent and advanced than ever with technology, yet we're fatter and sicker than ever um, <clears throat> because people just generally are eating foods that are just, just yeah, just calorie dense and nutrient deficient um, yeah. and highly inflammatory and uh, anagenic. So I get that. Now, this one, vegans, is going to cause some, <laughs> cause some stuff, which is good. In the day, look, I love, uh, do you know who Paul Check is? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with Paul Check. Right. Uh, your your task for me for the next week is to listen to everything Paul Trek's ever written. He's a uh, he's like the holistic godfather. He's out in California, but he's got the 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 check um, check system, and he's like uh, you, you'll love him. He's he's wicked. Like he's he's really good. Um, and and he, he talks about like people um, people people. Well, in these situations, it's amazing how like the belief system can be so strong that they won't change their diet even when they're but i mean i've had you you might have spoken to vegans as well and they come to me and say well i'm not prepared to eat meat i say okay what if eating meat would return you to health would you rather be ill or would you rather be healthy i'd rather be ill is this the sort of thing you're going down yeah exactly um you know i used to be a vegetarian and quite a militant one at that and it was very kind of what you would refer to as emotionally driven um and i actually think a lot of Sorry about the noise. Sorry, right, sorry, right, sorry, right, right. Yeah, I actually think a lot of the time uh, in people who are kind of attracted to veganism or vegetarianism for the love of the animals, kind of, and I put that in quote quotation marks, um, I, I think a lot of the time it has to do with unresolved emotional traumas. I think there's a lot of underlying stuff like guilt and things that go into that and there's also a lot of propaganda around kind of um you know this idea that it's actually better for the animals but yeah it's it's a nuanced topic and and there's a lot that can be said about it but ultimately i will refuse to work with vegans and i generally refuse to work with vegetarians as well and you know there's several reasons for that like you just said um, oftentimes the, the, the focus is not on the health. There are other reasons why they're doing veganism. So they might in, in, in a few cases, uh, if someone's vegan, literally they, they go vegan because they, they think it's going to improve their health and they're willing to change, then I will work with them. But actually the militant vegans or the, all the ones which are doing it for the environment or the ones which are doing it kind of based on the principles it's very difficult to make any progress with those because actually a lot of the time the health conditions that they are experiencing are, are sorry, sorry. directly caused by the diet that they are consuming. And so unless they're willing to change a the diet, then, I mean, what's the point? It's a waste of my time and it's a waste of their money, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, no, there's I, there's I completely... very little that can be done for someone like that. Yeah, no, I completely get it. And I think a lot of it, I've spoken in depth with Paul, Paul Jack about this and a few others, and I think a lot of it comes from also wanting to belong to something. Um, you know, as you said, we used to have communities and now we don't. And even though we've got social media, everyone seems to be disconnected. Um, so having that place to belong to, like a, almost like a church, like the church of veganism. Um, and I always say, if it works for you, great, but... If it's not working for you, at what point do you start thinking, oh, maybe it's a diet or maybe it's a few things that I'm doing, you know, and, and always talk about health much more than just food, um, as, you've no- as, you've, as you've noticed yourself, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have the right amount of movement, reducing your stress, um, you know, sleeping well, clean water, 
less exposure to EMFs and, and all these other things. So it's a huge part. But if you're not putting foods in your body that allow to nourish and heal, then it becomes an issue. And after, and after a while, I say to people, it's, it's, I don't even want to try to get in arguments with these people anymore online because they're like, oh, people haven't. I say, okay, but this is the, the funny thing with this. I always say, like, okay, because I, I sit in the middle. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then whatever. And I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, I'm not the person to work with because I'm going to tell you we need to change a few things. But when they say, oh, they weren't doing it correctly, it's like, get in my head, just want to smash it against the wall. It's like, the people that come to me, and probably to you, are definitely the ones that have been doing it correctly, quote unquote, in terms of they have cut out all refined, processed, enzymatically dead foods. They have been eating, well, they've even been having um, a B, B12 injections and whatever else, you know, they've been doing everything else you can imagine, fermenting their foods, soaking their foods, you know, and they still feel terrible. And then they wonder, I mean, anyone who wants to look into it, just go and look at um, Tim Sheaf. He was like, what he looked like before he went back to animal foods and it's just a, a different person and so look, I get it sometimes the body needs to go through periods of cleansing and if that that works for you you know different times it's cool but I completely understand with you in that one because it becomes it, yeah you literally hit your head against the wall right and it's, it's just like you can't do your job and they can't get the results so what's the point yeah and and you know if you're on any diet which means that you almost by definition need supplemental b12 or you know hydroxy b12 injections then it's a pretty good indication that that diet is not suitable for you right if you have to take an artificial supplement now this is not to say that human beings you know that i'm against supplementation i think it's massively beneficial in many cases for a variety of things but if like as a standard kind of protocol, the diet is not providing you with enough B12, then I mean, it's pretty good indication that actually the diet is not suitable for your body because you need vitamin B12, right? And you could say that about practically, I mean, there's probably 16, 17 nutrients that that applies to on a vegan diet and there's always context. So ultimately, if we're looking at kind of one's ability to synthesize carnitine, for instance, right? So some people can do that quite quite sufficiently carnitine is is a very important um uh it's an amino acid which we're essentially using uh in our muscles and we're using it kind of to burn fat right so it's it's enormously important now it's considered as uh non-essential or conditionally essential i think it's non-essential and what that means is that you can synthesize carnitine kind of relating to the methylation process some people synthesize it more than others and you need certain precursors to make enough carnitine now if you don't if you can't synthesize carnitine for whatever reason or if you're one of the people whose synthesis is slightly lower than someone else's for due to some genetic snip, then actually, um, then you need more from the diet. And the primary place that you find carnitine in the diet is red meat, right? It's in the muscles. So again, this kind of argument can be made for a variety of nutrients. And I think that it can help to kind of explain why some people do fairly well on a vegan diet. I mean, there are the outliers and I'll be clear about this. I believe they are outliers. The people who can remain on a vegan diet for a long period of time um, and, and kind of remain relatively healthy. These people are the outliers because the majority of individuals who do follow vegan diets generally tend to fail after about three or four years if they even get that far. And then picking up the pieces of that and 
you know, many of the people on these kind of online arguments or in the documentaries, they've only been doing veganism for six months. Uh, so they've yeah. cut out all of these horrible kind of processed foods and then they wonder why they feel better when they eat whole food plant-based diet. And it's like, yeah, because they've cut out a lot of the crap. But actually over a long period of time, you know, you're looking at year, two years, three years, that's when the body really, really, really starts to become depleted in some of the things that you just simply can't get from a vegan diet. And actually, a lot of my practice, I deal with people who have been on these diets and completely derailed their health. And unfortunately, in the kind of local or the subsections of communities within veganism, and you can have kind of fruitarianism, and you have all of these other you know kind of uh, groups and things on it yeah yeah i mean there's there's loads of different kind of denominations but ultimately what you find is that as you kind of highlighted before is that they are generally told that they're doing it wrong right so they're told that they need to start fermenting their food or they're told that actually their body some of them actually say that their body is producing so much mucus and that's a way of detoxifying the the dairy products or it's a way of detoxifying the acidity caused by animal products i mean this stuff is you just couldn't make it up right it's it's absolutely oh you can you can they do well, yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, it's amazing. But hearing some of the stuff that comes out of that Dr. Robert Morse's mouth is, I mean, there's absolutely no basis in physiology whatsoever for it. Um, but essentially, there's a lot of people who believe it. And so actually, when their health does gradually tend to decline um then they are told that they need to be taking this herb or this new supplement or it's for some unknown reason it's not because they're actually severely nutrient deficient um and their body is kind of crumbling you know um, yeah 100 percent. and it's as you said before i always look at like look a very simple way of looking at it say plants or or herbs they, they can cleanse and clean and and animal foods animal products they can build mm-hmm. yeah so if you go through like a period of cleansing it's fine but then you need time to build it's why we have winter spring summer and autumn so you different different periods of time so that you can add different foods you know we're not actually meant to be having all these foods all year round that we're doing so you get different times to have different foods and generally you know and when it's when it's really hot outside i mean not many people want to be sitting there just drinking you know raw butter raw milk i mean you can do but it's not as nice as having for example a salad that's why people eat lighter inside just when you go oh makes makes sense I get that tip with me all the time. You know the stuff you say, right? It just makes sense. It's like, oh right, fine that. Yeah. How about you use your brain and stop listening to the, these these nonsense? I don't care what people write, but this is what it sort of annoys. It annoys me because I say it annoys me. I'm getting to the point where I'm literally. I don't. I talk about this because I want people to actually understand it. But get to the point where I'm just like, okay, you want to eat that way? No worries. I mean, it, it just do what you got to do. But I just don't want people to have to go through it because it. I know what's coming and. As you said before, you cut out loads of loads of rubbish, and they've been. These are people that have generally not been eating great for a, 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 quite a while, having cereal and toast, and and having like um, yeah, heavily refined foods and and lots of stuff, you know, additives, all these things, and, and poor meat choices, and then they cut all that out and they start eating fresh fruits and vegetables, and they feel great, and until they don't, and that, and that's the problem. So and, and that's why it's, it's it's important to have those periods of building or even. Just to mix, to mix them up, and so for a lot of people, we're going to get into why plants some plants won't won't be great for people. But it's inter- it's, it's uh, definitely something I completely agree with you on there, my man. And uh, it's hard to say. And you don't want to sound like patronising or, or arrogant, but it's like I think we might be justified in a few years. And the problem is, you've got these documentaries like Game Changers coming out, um, and you've got someone there who's just it's just so um, 
dogmatic about what they're saying. It's like, and then people believe it because it's on Netflix. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to get. Uh, I can't remember his name, James. I can't remember his name. What was his name? He did, 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 was on the Rogan podcast. Uh, yeah, James. What something? Uh, I can't remember. I remember. I'd like to him to have a chat with um, Paul Sardino. That would be an interesting. Oh right, yeah, yeah. That'd be, an, <laughs> that'd be an interesting conversation because Chris Cresser, when he was on it, it was just a bit like he was just going after his credentials, even though Chris pretty pretty intelligent bloke. You know, I think he helps a lot yeah. of people. Um, so yeah, and the the other thing. Um, and we're getting, we can talk a bit, bit, but uh, a bit where the, some of these honest burgers and stuff, because you probably get this in the oxalates. But it, you mentioned there about supplements, how they are important. And I've seen you, you've got a uh, seminar or a, yeah, a conference in Boulder, Colorado. You'd be talking about how important supplements are. Because um, some people go, oh, you don't need supplements anymore, you know, because you can get all the nutrients from food. Um, which I think 50, 60 years ago may have been true. But today, um, I think the way that our food's produced, you know, especially if you're not eating organic, um, it's these foods are they're, they're literally just like empty. They're not they're, the best salt they put on the ground. It just allows these foods to get bigger and bigger. But you're actually eating like just a dead food almost. Um, mm-hmm. How how important do you, do you feel that supplements are? Well, I mean, I think it's context dependent, right? So if someone's relatively kind of metabolically healthy if they don't have any kind of pre-existing health conditions if their gut is in quite good shape then there's a you know there's a strong possibility that if they are hitting all of the bases in terms of eating the right kind of foods um then it you know it seems to be possible that people can exist on quite a limited diet um and not become severely deficient in 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 kind of in nutrients right so you, you spoke about the, the the conference. The conference is basically, um, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with kind of the carnivore diet, but it's it's basically a conference which is uh, put together of a variety of speakers talking about using an animal-based diet, which is basically free from plant matter. So no fruits, no vegetables, no grains, purely meat, fat, and kind of eggs, dairy maybe, but basically just foods from the animal kingdom. Using this kind of approach um not only to support health conditions but actually to maintain health and to maintain good nutrient status so without a doubt some people can do this they can they can survive on a relatively limited diet but at the same time if someone has some kind of chronic health condition what we have to understand is that the the way that the metabolism changes in certain health conditions the way that the gut changes the way that our cells how they make energy things can um let's say essentially the way that cells work changes right it's different and that actually in someone who is chronically sick in someone who has say an autoimmune condition who's in someone who has chronic digestive issues or a history of some kind of severe nutrient deficiency it's very difficult to obtain what you need to obtain from food to effectively resolve that, right? So I'll give you an example. If someone has been on a very high sugar diet previously, they've drunken loads of alcohol, and at the same time, they are type 2 diabetic, right? What that likely means is that they are going to be running quite a severe thiamine deficiency, right? It's vitamin B1. is very important to metabolize carbohydrates and that when we eat lots of refined carbohydrates, we can very easily deplete ourselves of this nutrient and actually run up a deficiency. Now, this can take a very long time kind of to rear its ugly head in our symptoms, 
but it does happen. And so essentially in this kind of case, um, when someone develops the end stage deficiency symptoms, say they start getting neuropathy or they get kind of um, central fatigue or they develop some kind of autonomic nervous system dysfunction because of it, then essentially what the research has shown is that when you when someone gets to such an end stage of a deficiency, you can't just give them a healthy diet and they get better. It doesn't work like that, right? It's when they go so far, you have to intervene with extraordinarily high doses of nutrients. We're talking up to a thousand times the recommended daily allowance of what you could get from food. So I'll give you an example, the amount of thiamine that you get from food, what's recommended is about one to two milligrams. On a really well-formulated diet, you might be hitting maybe three to four milligrams per day, right? That is a good level to sustain health. Problem is, is that to treat a chronic thiamine deficiency, you can need up to 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams every single day. And that's not just for a week. That's not just for a month. That's potentially for a year. Okay, so you're, what I'm trying to say is that when someone spirals down in their health to such a large extent, then because we are living in a... Um, in an unnatural world, right? There are toxins, there are chemicals, there are kind of refined foods, there is EMF, there's all of this other stuff, which is actively depleting us of nutrients in one way or another, whether it's causing oxidative stress, depleting vitamin C, depleting glutathione, or other antioxidants, coenzyme Q10, whether it is some other, say, organophosphates, which bind with minerals and bind with nutrients in the in the gut and actually stop us from absorbing that, whether it's any other kind of component, essentially, the environment that we're currently in is effectively depleting us, right? And so when we are in this unnatural environment and we develop a health condition, sometimes I am, I mean, I'm of the opinion that we need to resort to unnatural means to address that in some people. Right. Oh, 100 percent. And anyone who says any different, I mean, I question whether they have seen people or worked with people who are really poorly because these people, especially I mean, I get a lot of people with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, problems with the central nervous system, usually relating to kind of either chronic toxicity, heavy metal toxicity or some kind of underlying nutrient deficit. You can't just give these people a healthy diet and they get better. It doesn't happen. It's all. I mean, I haven't seen it yet with a chronic fatigue syndrome. I mean, there there may be some cases, but actually, I go in with very high high doses of specific nutrients. Sometimes based on testing, sometimes not, and that is when you really see the improvement. Have you? So I want to talk about. Well, you said to these another thing. I want people to have, uh, to to actually understand that you said a year. <coughs> a lot of people want to fix their problems in whatever and generally generally they can see a massive improvement by doing things right but they need to keep on doing things correctly because their body takes time to adapt especially when you've had these issues for so long these deficiencies can be in, like deeply rooted and you mentioned that what the i mean and if you talk about i mean mega dosing vitamin c has worked for so many deficiencies i mean i was talking about is people like people who like polio so do you ever heard of dr robert Klenner? who cured yeah. 60 out of 60 cases of polio in the 1940s with a mm-hmm. poor quality of vitamin C. And then they mega dose lots of vitamin C, and that's it's, it's phenomenal. They've done it for so many so many different issues, and doctors out there will refuse to believe it. And it's like, well, go and, go and research it, and just open your mind and just try and believe, or not believe, try and just have a, have a, like, a critical eye on things. 
the product that I use with my clients, I don't know if you've heard of it before, um, Elliot, is Living Fuel. Have you ever heard of Living Fuel? No. So it comes from a guy, and I've I've known about Living Fuel for about for about ten years now. Um, it comes from a guy called Casey Crazy, who who developed it. Lucky enough, he was a, he was a multimillionaire. He developed it because his wife was really really ill, um, and two scoops of it is equivalent of $260 worth of organic produce. This is how like uh, powerful it, the, the nutrient levels in it are, are outrageous. If I showed you them, when you give it to clients, they're like, oh my God, they literally can't, it used to be given in, in cancer wards in America until pharmaceutical companies said, we don't want this in our thing anymore. It's, um, and I'm sure you've got your protocols, but something like this, it's, it's, uh, it just floods the body. I mean, all sorts of, of nutrients, even Krebs cycle minerals, for example, you know. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a very, very I'm, um, if you haven't heard of it, I'd be interested to, to see what you think. Um, because they've got, yeah, the, the, the amount of levels, and as you said, because people need over the daily recommended dose. Um, because, I mean, daily recommended doses for a lot of people. I mean, especially even, even people without a debilitating illness just general public walking around looking like they're extremely tired you know they need more nutrients in their diet and the other thing is they need to actually be able to absorb and assimilate these things so i mean do you do you have do a lot of people that come to you with those issues do you have to fix their gut as well as giving them other supplements yeah i mean generally um you know if someone does have issues with absorption digestion of food um then yeah it, it's it's uh it sets the stage for these kinds of things, right? It sets the stage for deficiencies in the generally the B vitamins and whatnot. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time you need to work on multiple levels, right? So rather than just giving them a supplement, it's like, okay, so we need to address the cause. Like, why is this person so low? Sometimes you run an organic acids test and you see someone who eats meat, but they're still severely vitamin B12 deficient. They're, they're functionally deficient in B12. And oftentimes what, we, what you'll see in these people is that when they go to their GP, <clears throat> for instance, they'll have a really high B12 level in the serum but they display all of the symptoms of B12 deficiency. And at the same time, when you do a functional test, like an organic acid test, you'll see that actually they are deficient in B12. So what's happening is, is they can't use it inside cells and it's ending up spilling into the blood. So it looks really high. And so a doctor will miss that. But actually, if you know what to look out for, um, then, then you can kind of address that. Right. Um, and what was the question? I was saying, yes. do, you, do, you saying do you address the gut? Because if they can't assimilate these things, if they can't absorb these things, yeah. it becomes like, a, it's the same with vitamin, like those people deficient in vitamin D, but because they've got such gut issues, they can't actually absorb it. So, I mean, I don't know if you do, I do, I recommend low-powered vitamin uh, UVB uh, electronic ballast sunbeds to some of my clients because I'm like, if you live in an area that has no, it literally getting nothing from, I've interviewed Dr. Holick on this, I don't know if you know who he is, he's got the vitamin D solution out, and he's like, you know, these people can't absorb anything through their gut, mm. and so I recommend them, uh, I said look, very different, there's different types of sunbeds as well, most of highly powered UVA, uh, magnetic ballast, that's where a lot of the issues have come from in my research, the other ones, and they go and they go, oh my god, Ryan, I feel phenomenal, you know what else, I haven't been ill this year, I'm like, right, yeah, yeah. And it makes a world of difference. And people go, oh, you recommend sunbeds? I'm like, it's different. It's, it's like saying, you know, there's different levels of car or, or whatever it is, you know. And so for me, that's one that people got gut issues that don't absorb vitamin D very well. I mean, you, you probably notice it for, for for other issues as well. Yeah, 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 G generally. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, if they can't properly synthesize bile acids, if they've got something called bile acid malabsorption, if they've got problems producing pancreatic enzymes and things, then yeah, there's there's usually nutrient absorption issues. Um, so yeah, in response to your previous question, kind of working on all fronts, trying to support digestion temporarily, if you need supplements or, you know, kind of functional foods or whatever, then that generally tends to work. And then I mean, yeah, you could, there's various kinds of forms of other nutrients as well, like emulsified fat soluble vitamins. So for instance, uh, you know, a mixture of D, E, A and K kind of thing, but in an emulsion. So it means that you don't have to emulsify it. It's essentially, it's kind of pre-digested. So you're better able to absorb that. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of kind of options in that regard, but I, I tend to find if someone really kind of cleans up their diet and, um, identifies the things which are potentially causing triggers, causing inflammation, causing irritation in the gut, then that stuff in you know, ideally will will hopefully clear up itself within time. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing what you can what can happen when you get out of the body's way, right? When you start to put all these I mean when holistic living will help a lot of people um in terms of just getting things right their sleep, cut, cutting out so many things that inflame the gut, you know, letting the gut hit I say to people how are you going to let your gut heal or any part of your body heal if you keep on picking it? If you get a scab, do you let it heal over or do you keep picking it? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you keep on picking it, you're going to have problems and then get get gut permeability and then that can lead to all manner of, of issues, you know, once things get started yeah. going through. So one of the things I want to talk about, because it is interesting, because these, um, especially with Game Changers and this move to, to um, veganism and plant-based, and people thinking that you know getting more plants in their diets gonna um, produce fantastic results which it may do short term but in the long term issues now not just because they become deficient in certain um, vitamins minerals etc but also because there's certain certain compounds in these in these plants that can cause problems within within our body and one of them is oxalate so we've got other other things um, legends and things like that but there's these oxalates are very, very talked about unless you're probably in our world and you know about them. But most, if we went, if I went down the street and said to someone, "Hey, my man, do you know what oxalates are?" <laughs> how many, how many people out of ten do you reckon know? Probably not point not 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 one, yeah, maybe exactly. or zero zero out of ten. I reckon, probably. I reckon zero yeah. out of ten. And this is something that needs to be be talked about. And certain things because there are, the, I, I say that when you've got a healthy person with a healthy gut. A lot of these plant foods probably aren't going to be a problem and based on the hormesis, a little bit of them, you know, can build up tolerance. But how many people these days are healthy and how many of them have got a healthy gut? And how many of them know that eating, this is the one thing I want to talk about as well. Because I've been there, as you probably have as well when I was, when I was going there. Oh, one, if I have one scoop of my greens drink, maybe 10 scoops would be better. You know? mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so the overconsumption of these like for want a better word superfoods or healthy foods can become a right problem a big problem and so yeah what's um in in your research how much is oxalate so first of all for people out there who haven't read books like the plant paradox etc what are oxalates um ox oxalates well they fall into a category of what you would probably call plant toxins so have you spoken about the other kind of plant toxins on this podcast before i'm trying to think i've had on uh no, I, things I, like I, lectins or anything um uh, i think we might have had on maybe a year ago or so so actually going yeah lectins lectins um i think we talked about it with 
Terry Tillard. Um, but there, there, these, yeah, there are. I'll try, I can't remember who the um, who the author of the Plant Paradox is. Stephen um, Gundry. Yeah, Stephen Gundry. I'm trying to get him on. Um, so we'll, we'll see if we can get him on. But yeah, he's got loads of. Uh, he goes through quite. He goes through all of them. And he talks about how yeah. these, these can produce big issues to people, and they don't. They don't understand why things are going wrong because you know they're eating these healthy foods. But I mean, have you have you looked into the the blue zones? Elliot? Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of the things they have, you know, in their pantry is but the whole foods. But some of them are these herbs, etc. But they're always in the whole food, and they're not ha- they're eating seasonally, which is different. So people say, "Well, they eat them there." It's like, yeah, but they're eating them a lot differently to what we do. Whereas we just go, "Well, that's good for us. We'll have ten of them." Um, I saw I was where was I was the other day. I was at a yoga studio, and I looked at the board. And they had all the different options for their for their um, smoothies. I was like, that one should just be called the Oxalate Shake. Everything <laughs> <laughs> was in it, and it was just I was just like, these things. If people don't know what they're doing, they start having them every morning becomes an issue. So no, you, you can touch on lectins, etc. That's not a problem. Right? Yeah. Just so, just so your listeners kind of understand the concept. Is this right? So you have this whole movement. These the game changers, the powers that be, kind of pushing this idea of plant-based diets on people and, um, you know, highlighting the many nutrients that you find in plants, highlighting the benefits to the environment, highlighting the supposed evidence that show that animal products are unhealthy and whatnot. And so it generally tends to get people to, uh, people are really easily convinced, right, that, that these plant-based diets are, are great. There's no downsides to them, right? There's that, What possible downsides could there be to eating more plants, right? We have this f- fundamental belief that plants are inherently benign and then they are inherently healthy right and so actually if you speak to anyone they you know generally the healthy option on a menu would be be to eat the salad right or or be to eat the the plate with all of the vegetables on you know eat more fruits and vegetables because that makes you inherently more healthy so this is kind of like a really common belief that the majority of people have adopted for no really known reason uh generally we've been brainwashed into thinking this but something that the majority of doctors nutritionists um any kind of healthcare practitioner or healthcare provider or educator does not acknowledge either they ignore or they are ignorant of is that plants are plants are fundamentally living beings right much like every other living organism on this planet it will do what it can to survive in any way possible right so for instance if you want to go and hunt a pig a wild hog for instance or you want to go hunt a deer when you um when you you know when when you go out to hunt it and you say you're holding up a bow or you or you have a gun and it spots you, it's going to run away. Or it's got legs to run away from you to protect itself. Or, or, Problem, or it's got antlers to to hit you with, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so whatever happens, you know, you they're either going to put up a, fr- a fight with you or they're going to run away. Um, the problem is plants can't do that, right? Plants don't have legs. Plants can't run away from you. But what they can do is they can prevent you from eating them or prevent you from eating their offspring or their family members just across the road kind of thing. And the way that they do this is they release chemicals. They release chemicals which are essentially poisonous to some degree. And the level of poisonous or the level of toxicity depends on the type of plant and 
when you know what kind of thing that they're releasing at any one given time but essentially i mean it's it's not really hard it's not a hard concept to get your head around because if you were to go for a walk out in the woods right now and you were to pick up some random plant or say you found some berries if you were to randomly eat some berries there's a very high likelihood that you would develop some kind of gastroenteritis or you would develop diarrhea in an upset stomach almost in all cases in fact around 95 percent of plants are actually inedible for human beings because they can make us really poorly either we'll get digestive symptoms or some plants if you get really unlucky and you eat the wrong plant you can actually die right there's many plants which are fatal and so actually what they do is they are releasing these chemicals and there's a variety of subsections of chemicals so people are familiar with the concept of celiac disease or gluten intolerance the reason for gluten intolerance is is generally um, relating to a, a certain type of toxin found in plants called a lectin. Now, gluten is a form of lectin. What this can effectively do is irritate our immune system in our gut. It can cause leaky gut. It can cause all kinds of autoimmune conditions. And uh, there's a lot of research to indicate that actually, I mean, there's there's many people who have achieved complete remission from their autoimmune conditions simply by removing lectins from their diet. Right. So this is well kind of acknowledged in the research community. Aside from lectins, you have other type of plant toxins as well. You have things like um, you have certain phytochemicals, you have phytoestrogens, you have hormone disrupting chemicals, things which when we ingest it, it actually can affect how our hormones work. So you can have estrogenic substances found in certain types soy. of seeds. Yeah, like soy, like flaxseed. Yeah. Um, soy also contains lectins. Sweet potatoes are quite um, estrogenic, aren't they, I think? I think they're quite high in lectins. Yeah. Uh, they're high in oxalates. I'm yeah. not sure if they're estrogenic, but je definitely things like flax seeds, sesame seeds, chia seeds, all of the kind of nuts and seeds which yeah. vegans eat a lot of and which are kind of promoted to be really healthy. Mm. These generally contain hormone disrupting chemicals, right? And so essentially what they can do is they can cause a man to develop gynecomastia, have low testosterone, and then inevitably, inevitably become depressed, have low, low muscle mass, low and, libido, uh, and actually yeah. low libido, low fertility. So these things are, are like really common, right? And, uh, you know, uh, one of the classifications of plant toxins uh, like the question that you originally asked is called oxalate. So oxalate is essentially, um, if you look at it under a microscope, it's like a sharp spiky crystal. Okay. And it can exist in various different kinds of structures, but generally what you would see is it might be spiky. It might be kind of crystalline. It might be square in nature, but basically it's very sharp. You think of it a bit like a shard of glass, right? And so there's many plants which contain oxalates and oxalates, um, it, the the oxalate itself is actually like a magnet so it binds very tightly with certain minerals one of those is calcium another one is magnesium potassium now when it binds with calcium it can form uh, a calcium oxalate crystal and when we eat plants which are very high in oxalate what can happen is is the body can actually accumulate this okay so one of the most well-known health conditions associated with calcium oxalate toxicity or oxalate toxicity is actually kidney stones. Yeah. So around 80% of kidney stones are generally composed of calcium oxalate. And what calcium oxalate does in the kidneys is basically deposited there and it builds up into this crystal and essentially it's causing damage to the kidney, causing oxidative stress and is very, very, very painful. Unfortunately, what isn't very well acknowledged or well recognized is that actually a diet which is very high in oxalate 
not only can it cause kidney stones, but generally it can cause a wide variety of other health issues when the body accumulates this stuff. And so some of the plants which contain very high levels of oxalates are some of those things which we generally find seasonally. They don't grow all year round. And many of the things that we eat these days are actually tropical in nature. So they, they don't actually grow in the UK or in the Western world. So, for instance, I'll give you some examples. Probably, well, the around almost the highest is spinach. Spinach is abnormally high, but we also have rhubarb. We have um, the sweet potato and potatoes. They are relatively high. Many kind of um, salad vegetables. I mean, we have things like um, dark chocolate. Yeah, I mean, dark chocolate is is extremely high. Any kind of nut, uh, not so much macadamia nut, but generally almonds, um, cashews, pistachios, these kinds of things. Potatoes uh, are quite high. No, sorry, mate. Go on. Potatoes are relatively high. Um, some of the other root vegetables are quite high, although the highest are generally, um, as I've said, I said kind of spinach, but you yep. also have Swiss chard, mm -hmm. various kind of types of kale. Yeah. Um, you have certain other leaf, leafy greens. You have. Um, what else do you have? See, see, this is the thing because there's, there's different. Um, as I've done, done the research on oxalates, and there's things that there tends to be different lists depending on who, who you research. And so one of them was coffee was high in oxalates, and then if you listen to, I think it's Sally Watson, Sally Norton, Sally Norton, she says um, coffee not high in oxalates. No, yeah, it's um, not. Yeah, it's not. And so it depends. And there's some conflicting research. So I think it's, um, yeah, Sally Norton and there's another one, Susan. Susan Owens. Owens. Yeah. These are the two people you go to, yeah. And also Donna Gates. Do you know Donna Gates at all? No, I don't know Donna Gates. Donna Gates, yeah. She's got the body ecology diet. She's been one of the people who in digestive health for years and years. Um, phenomenal, anyway. But yeah, you look at these, and these are, because um, I think it's Susan who's got the low, the low um, oxalate diet. Try and low oxalate group yeah, yeah try and yeah. low oxalate That's it, yeah and so there was some but for but most people i think a lot of the salads are not too bad it's more of the the leafy greens right you see yeah. lettuce isn't too bad but spinach... the lettuce is fine cucumbers fine yeah. there's a little bit in celery uh, tomatoes are generally quite low the, the really high offenders are generally the things that um that we tend to eat lots of on a vegan diet, right? If someone's going to go on a vegan diet or even like a ketogenic or a paleolithic diet, generally foods which are quite low in carbohydrates, but are, which are kind of, um, for instance, raw cacao, so cacao powder, that's something which people who follow kind of a low carb diet, they think cacao's really healthy and, you know, dark chocolate is very addictive for many people, but it can actually cause a lot of problems for a lot of people if they've got this kind of problem of accumulating it many of the nuts and seeds almost all of the nuts and seeds but also some of the grains many of the gluten-free grains so someone goes on a gluten-free diet and actually what they find is they start substituting wheat with amaranth flour or tapioca or um or cassava or buckwheat buckwheat yeah yeah yes yeah. So many of these flowers are actually just extraordinarily high. So generally what happens is, is someone goes from a standard diet, right? Standard diet is generally said to what you're aiming to have is kind of nothing more than 150 milligrams. Although the average diet, people probably get a lot more than that. They probably get like 200 to 300 milligrams per day. 
that's not necessarily going to cause a problem in everyone, although it's, you know, it still can potentially cause a problem for someone. The real issues tend to occur when people start doing things like smoothies or juices, right? So if you go onto any of these kind of vegan influencers and they'll be recommending that, okay, this food is healthy, this food contains these nutrients. So, so what we will do is we will start juicing it. And so instead of eating like a small bunch of spinach on the side of your plate, you would use a whole bag of it to <clears throat> to juice down into mm. a tiny little shot. Mm. So you're getting a, an extreme amount, a very, very, very high amount concentrated in one individual dose. And what that means is you, you can have lots of it. So you'd be I mean, you'd be amazed. I have people get in contact with me and I consult with them from all around the world who have a history of doing juicing, right? They have a history of going through these phases where they feel really good. They'll be juicing celery, um, carrots, spinach, kale, and they'll be doing this multiple times throughout the day. Like you said, just because something's good, people tend to take it to the extreme. So they think, oh, okay, if spinach is good, then what I will do is, you know, I'll use two bags every single day. And the problem is, is that there are very real consequences for this. Mm. So we have to understand this stuff is a, is, is a toxin. In fact, pound for pound, ox oxalic acid is, I mean, in toxicology, it's known as a toxin. So they've used it for at least 100 years in in essentially assessing toxicity of various kind of organisms but essentially pound for pound this is more toxic than asbestos right so yeah. what happens is is that when someone takes a load of these juices or they go on a vegan diet or they go on a kind of very high oxalate diet picking out on these high oxalate containing foods what happens is is the gut bacteria to some extent can degrade some of that you have these things called oxalate degrading bacteria but a lot of the time, because of things like antibiotic use, because of kind of chronic intake of pesticides and things, which also have antibiotic activity on our gut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what tends to happen is that many of those so-called so beneficial bugs, which do protect the gut, are actually, or which do kind of help to get rid of oxalate and bind it and get rid of it, um, many of those can be killed off. And oftentimes when someone has a leaky gut as well, it means that we're more likely to absorb this stuff. Whereas ordinarily, if we'd have had like a healthy gut, we might be less likely to absorb it in the past. And so essentially what's happening is, is people are loading themselves with this poison oftentimes. And the, the kidneys can only deal with so much at any one given time, right? There are cases of people. I mean, there's clinical case studies of people who have done smoothies, who've actually given themselves acute renal failure and have been admitted into the emergency room in the hospital and like had to go on dialysis temporarily because of drinking these green smoothies. Only so humans. yeah, it's only humans. Exactly. I mean, if you try to feed certain plants to animals, you know, you try to give your dog a green smoothie. Most of the time, they're just going to like knock it to the other side of the room. You know, the animals know that this stuff is not food, but actually humans, when ideology takes over, you know, we, we can very much kind of uh, get lost in this stuff. But essentially, the, the main kind of problems that this can this can lead to, and theoretically, oxalate can be involved in many different kinds of health issues. But essentially, if you think about it like this, right, when you're absorbing a lot of these crystals, essentially, in the gut, what can happen is, is, um, is you have this oxalate bound to some kind of mineral, whether it be potassium, magnesium, and it's flowing through your bloodstream. 
And what can happen is, is this can eventually precipitate out in tissues. So it can precipitate in like the joint capsule, for instance. And here it can produce a condition called oxalate induced arthropathy, which mimics arthritis. Okay. Well, and in fibro as well, right? Pardon? Fibromyalgia? Yeah. Yeah, 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 indeed. Indeed. So basically it can deposit in the joints in the muscles and cause stabbing sharp pains, can cause aching, can cause inflammation. You think about it. It's like a shard of glass in your joint, right? Every time you move, it can hurt. And what people find is these flares. So it can actually be contributing to chronic inflammatory conditions because it's picked up by the immune system as a toxin, rightly so. So the immune system will essentially mobilize an inflammatory response against that. Now, if someone has a chronically high intake of these oxalates, then they can effectively deposit it all throughout the body. You can have oxalates in the teeth, you can have it in the gums, in the nasal cavity, in the thyroid gland, very common in the thyroid gland. And what it will usually cause in the thyroid gland is it can lead to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It can lead to kind of hypothyroidism, other thyroid conditions, generally pumping up TSH. And many people find that actually when they go on a low oxalate diet, that actually their thyroid condition improves greatly. But also what it's potentially contributing to one of the characteristic conditions laid out, um, really one of the first individuals who, who kind of really looked into this was um, related to vulvodynia. So that's actually vulva pain in the lady's vagina. Okay, yeah. the, the outer surface of the vagina can essentially accumulate these crystals and you can have kind of this chronic, chronic, severe itching and pain. Um, and it's generally caused by these oxalate crystals in many individuals. Um, there's there's just a wide variety of things that oxalates can contribute to chronic urinary tract infections, chronic yeast infections because of the way that it's messing with the microbiome in the vagina and in the uh, in the gut. So if someone has chronic yeast infection, oxalate is potentially involved there. Um, there's just a wide variety of things. I mean, generally, I see a lot of people with interstitial cystitis who have been told that they've got a UTI. But then when they actually do the um, when they go to have their their urine cultured for bacteria, they find that actually there's nothing there, that they've got all of the symptoms of a UTI and it continues for a very long time. Essentially, what I suspect is that in these people, because it kind of flares and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down, generally gets worse when they eat foods like dark chocolate or spinach or certain other foods which contain very high levels of oxalate. Um, what it can actually be is as the body is trying to clear these crystals or these shards, these oxalate crystals going through the bladder, it's causing irritation it can potentially allow an infection to embed itself but essentially it's tearing all throughout the urinary tract and essentially uh, you know wreaking havoc kind of thing so yeah oxalate is is again one of these kind of poisons and it is becoming more and more common in our daily diets because essentially many of these foods rhubarb spinach which do grow in the uk Many of the foods don't, but the ones that do grow in the UK, they only grow for a couple of months every year. Right. So we historically would have only had access to a couple of the oxalate containing foods for, say, a couple of months. And then we would have given our, our body time for, say, eight months of the year throughout kind of fall and winter time to effectively clear that out. But the problem is, is that now because we have international export, we can ship in foods from all around the world. We can have any food that we want. 24 7 
There is no seasonality. We have kind of lost the environmental control mechanism for, I, I guess, determining how much we can actually intake. So then we've got this problem of, OK, we've got this chronic influx of this poison and it's making people really sick. And it's only something that you're going to see much more of as people do adopt these plant-based diets, which are inherently unnatural in and of themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the only people that uh, Gerson found, uh, that, sorry, Gerson, um, <laughs> Western Price, found that weren't eating meat or so animal foods were those that wasn't readily, readily available. Um, and so, yes. And so when you talk about, like, juicing, because there's, there's great therapies, that, like the Gerson therapy that has been curing advanced disease for a long, long time, but he wasn't juicing. I don't know if you've done much research. You probably have done a lot of research on it on the Gerson therapy. Um, have you? I don't know. Uh, to talk to um, the, the daughter. The name for something. It's a bit. My head. Just, my memory's just gone. What's her name again? The daughter. Not his. His daughter who took it on. I can't remember. Her name. Not sure. It's not. It's not uh, Sally. Uh, oh, Mark. It doesn't matter. She's. She's. Uh, she recently passed. But they talked about he. He was. He wasn't juicing spinach. He was juicing things like apple and carrot in, 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 in like mega dosing these things. And so I'm pretty sure those two aren't very high in oxalates at all. Um, and so and very, very high in pectin uh, as well, uh, an enzyme. So these, it depends on what you're doing. This is why it's a little bit of knowledge is dangerous in these things because you say people say, oh, these things are good. We might as well do them all. It's like there's reasons why specific um, foods are used in these in these in these in these uh, therapies but as you go as you went through there you went through it can be linked to so many things and if you haven't got that like well, say acute symptom of that pain um, it's a bit like fluoride right and it bioaccumulates in the body and then all of a sudden you've got this issue that you didn't know and that's why people don't know what's caused it because all of a sudden it's there and it's not like oh I did this and I ate that it was this has been coming over a period of time so it can bioaccumulate in different areas and you mentioned there like there's so many different parts you mentioned the joints and then you mentioned like the vagina for women i mean you can get in all issues and and kidney stones if anyone knows anyone who's had a kidney stones how painful that is um, yeah. it's something that people need to 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 really be aware of right and tend to think oh actually maybe it's time to like this is why i talk a lot about uh, i'm sure you do as well but with my clients and people talk about rotating foods a lot um so you're not just having the same foods over and over again because you get food sensitivities you can build up of these things um but for you but for you like what i mean you mentioned a couple there what are they linked to any other sort of illnesses you mentioned fibro um you mentioned uh chronic fatigue Did you mentioned no what was it chronic fatigue was it we mentioned arthritis um you mentioned yeah. arthritis any, anything else like these are all also immune conditions but um Anything else you've you come across? Oh, kidney stones. Quite, well. quite a lot of things, right? You, you'd be amazed. So there's, right, if you look at the research literature or you speak to a doctor, then they will generally be under the impression that oxalates are only a problem if someone has kidney stones, right? But what we're finding, and this isn't really due to my research, this is the work of Susan Owens. So Susan Owens runs a Facebook group. It's called Trying Low Oxalates, and it's on Facebook. And um, anyone can join. And there's, I, I mean, I think now there's like 25,000 members or something. And she's been looking into oxalates for, I think, around two decades. So she's done a lot. She understands a great deal about this. Um, and essentially, there's this dogma, this belief that 
the only thing that oxalate, the only problem it contributes to is, is the kidney stones. But actually what they're finding and what I've been seeing clinically is that people can present with a wide variety of different health problems. Like we've said, this kind of arthritis, but this doesn't have to be arthritis. This can be any kind of chronic muscular pain, any kind of chronic joint pain, disc herniation, nerve pain. You see, uh, anything which is kind of unexplained or may have a diagnosis, they may be able to somewhat explain it, but actually is chronic, persistent. Um, it can contribute to any kind of muscular or skeletal pain. Okay, that's one thing. Secondly, what we know is that it can essentially disrupt the cardiovascular system. So as it's traveling through the bloodstream, it can effectively cause inflammation in the vascular system. It can affect how the blood vessels dilate and contract. So some people develop things like nervous system disorders where they can't effectively, you know, actually myself, as I um, after I went through kind of a year or two of eating very high oxalate foods originally i was looking to uh, kind of as i was studying nutrition i was pommeling spinach uh, kale dark chocolate 90 99% dark chocolate well, right the well, lint. yeah where did you study i i went to cnm yeah right? that's, that's why you're doing that yes yeah. exactly <laughs> so they're massive proponents of yeah. plant-based diets right yeah. so i just to kind of sidetrack the reason why i didn't go study the conventional route of nutrition was because i was convinced that the uh five a day kind of you know healthy plate fda mm. guidelines i was convinced that that was wrong and i was hoping to kind of go the alternate route it turns out that actually i went i went the cnm route and it turns out it was just as bad, probably worse, well, no, because they are very much geared towards plant-based. So actually, in that case, um, yeah, you really kind of need to use your thinking cap and um, no, 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 uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, no, no judgment, no judgment. When I saw it, I was like, oh, he, he studied there. I was like, cool. I was like, and it's interesting that you've gone this road, because I remember I went there like years ago, and they had um, oh, Brian Hippocrates um What's his name? Brian Clement. Um, and I was just sitting at him going, I, I just, and I know a lot of people that they've dealt with and people that want his head on a, on a plate. And then I was like, you don't look healthy to me, my man. Um, yes. And a lot yes. of these things, I'm just like, and I went down and they tried to get me to do a, uh, their degree there. And I was like, I just don't feel, it just didn't feel right. And that's why um, I went down, another I went to America and certain sort of certain people and, one of them was Paul Check. You'd, you'd really like him, um, and Donna Gates and a few other people. But it was interesting you're saying that because that was when I remember sitting there once at a seminar. They were talking about, and they were, and he was talking about just like how raw milk and Western A price was, was. And I was just sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't know how you can say like completely disregard someone's like whole life work um, yeah. that that was like there's, there's, it, there's such re, like quality life work that is being through i was just sitting there thinking mm, and something just didn't add up and it was funny that you said that you're doing that so you're having all these things dark chocolate and stuff and you started to feel a bit off yeah basically many of the superfoods that um you know that are kind of even I, I was i was ketogenic at the time right but even the keto advocates so the people are telling you that you should be if you're on a ketogenic diet then you need to be having seven cups of fruit and veg a day seven cups of veg like dr dr eric berg kind of thing right so 
anyway yeah so so it was actually after that that i developed a strange condition which is called acrocyanosis right acrocyanosis is basically just um random it, it basically affects how the blood vessels in the hands generally the hands but sometimes the feet as well how they contract and dilate right so actually what you can develop is kind of a blue tinge to the hands it's essentially hypoxia so you've got very poor blood flow to the hands and i developed that almost immediately after going on my oxalate binge right and 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 i was looking in the literature because no doctor has ever been able to explain this it's kind of autonomic nervous system dysfunction and actually one of the risk factors for developing idiopathic acrocyanosis is oxalosis which is basically hyperoxaluria someone eating too many oxalates so overloading their body with that so that can cause acrocyanosis acrocyanosis and it sounds a little bit like Raynaud's it's not Raynaud's that's the different thing so Raynaud's it presents somewhat similarly but it's not the same thing with Raynaud's generally there will be like two or three fingers Mm -hmm. which go completely white and then after when you when you go inside the the hands the the color of the hands will normalize whereas with acrocyanosis generally it doesn't present clinically like that it's actually just a persistent kind of blue or or bright red tinge to the hands um and that's something which uh, you know uh, is gradually gotten better gradually gotten better but it's not completely gone away and the only thing that i can really put down to that you, you see the thing is is that oxalate can very well kind of um deposit throughout the vascular system and kind of mess up the neurons as well so it can it can deposit in the nerves and, and kind of affect how nerve signals you see it carries an electric charge so it can affect how nerves are able to effectively send messages to one another so you can end up with kind of weird neuropathies and neuropathic pain and kind of strange uh, neurological symptoms kind of thing that's very common but but at the same time uh yeah it can affect kind of how how well the vascular system is working it, it can deposit in the heart in the aorta it can cause things like ruptures in the um in the vascular system it can affect the liver the kidneys Practically every known organ, right, can can accumulate oxalates. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this is the cause for every single health condition. Someone can have arthritis for a wide variety of different reasons, but there are certain kind of a clinical phenotype, you might say. And if you know what to look out for when you work with people, you will see it present. It's like, okay, they started eating the green smoothies or they started eating plant-based or they started eating lots of dark chocolate or something. And then all of a sudden, that is when their health really started to plummet. And at that time, that's when they started developing all all of these kind of symptoms. So a couple of things. One, so just is it has it been linked to Raynaud's at all? Uh, oxalate. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. I don't know. I'll have a look into that because it'd be interesting to know. And because so you said they eat these things and then they get these symptoms. How long generally do you notice the from the time they start eating it to, or, or is it it can be different for every person because everyone gets detoxes the body differently? Yeah. So I mean, it really depends. You know, some people seem to be able to tolerate more than other people i think it generally depends on kind of like the gut health and 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 various other factors but i mean sometimes someone can go on kind of like a year of a very high oxalate diet and after that year then um then they will start to kind of notice that their symptoms get worse or that they develop kind of other symptoms so i mean 
yeah. It can be in a very short space of time. So, so if people have been doing this for a while and they've been getting away from it, they may be all right. It doesn't mean they will be forever, but then maybe their body gets rid of oxalates better than others because I don't yeah. want people to sit there thinking, let's be honest, the majority of people are not going to be sitting here saying, I want you to stop eating all these foods because they're high in oxalates because having them as part of like a diet where you rotate your foods and you're eating good foods, for most people it's not going to be a problem. It's the ones that go over the top or eat them most days of the week. Is that what you're saying? Because like, if you're having spinach once a week, mm-hmm. It's not the same as having it every single day in your, in your juice movie, right? Well, I think this is going to be based on, like, again, it's individual. So mm-hmm. if someone has a problem with oxalates, then yeah. they can't be eating spinach. Yeah, like, yeah, Spinach is completely off the table. But, I mean, for an average person, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a problem, right? Like yeah, yeah. once a week. I mean, generally, you want to be having kind of more than, you know, 150 to 200 milligrams so you may have some spinach on like one day a week or something it's probably not going to be the end of the world you know i'm not under that impression but again yeah for someone who has a problem with this then yeah yeah, any amount of spinach is going to be lethal (laughs) yeah yeah. i know yeah if someone's got a cute problem with oxidates and and stay away and it's just um interesting because yeah what you were saying there it's it seems like well, a lot of lot of lot of these things, a lot of foods that people eat can can well can contain oxalate. So for what we're going to do is for people that have got the issue, two things you want to know. In fact, prevention is always better than cure. So what people can do to mitigate these things, and also what people can do once they if they have got an issue to to get rid of them. Because as you mentioned before, gut health. From my research, it tells me things like having good gut bacteria, having things like fermented foods or probiotics can help to um, bind or to at least protect the gut, etc. Um, other things such as cooking your foods, uh, boiling, for example, spinach or something like that would be high in oxalates, and then throwing that water away because a lot of the oxalates would have been taken out um, in the cooking of those foods. Yeah. These things that you've you've come across. Yeah, so right. So there's a couple of things which can kind of, uh, let's say, are protective, right? So one of those is going to be boiling, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not going to completely get rid of the stuff, but actually, uh, you see, oxalate is water soluble. So generally, anything which is an oil or something like that doesn't contain it. Whereas, like when you're cooking, you're boiling, generally the water is going to be coming out of the food that you're cooking. And so that's going to be pulling some of the oxalate, not all of it, not even a great deal of it, but some of it. So you can reduce it maybe by like 20% or something, maybe a little bit more in certain cases. Um, So yeah, chucking away that water, the cooking water. uh, It's important to note, like uh, I haven't really gone into that much detail, but essentially oxalic acid, when it's found in a plant, it sometimes is bound with the minerals, sometimes it's not. Generally, it is bound. It's like a magnet. And it has the highest affinity for calcium, right? So when it binds with calcium, generally, you're not going to absorb it in the gut, okay? So actually, because a calcium oxalate stone or calcium oxalate is a, is a uh, kind of a crystal you can think of, when calcium is bound to oxalate, it makes it insoluble, which means that it kind of stays in the gut and it goes out through the poo. So basically, dietary calcium is 
in that respect protective so people oftentimes when they have problems with dairy and they go on a dairy-free diet and they replace the dairy with almond milk that's a real problem because you're getting kind of a high oxalate load but you're not getting the calcium to protect your body from that so actually dietary calcium anything high in calcium taken with food which does contain oxalate which is really interesting actually because if you go to india there's a um, there's a, a, a dish which is called palak paneer, and that's actually cheese with spinach, right? It's the only dish that I know of that is like mainly spinach, but actually it's it's traditionally cheese with spinach. So actually mixing a high oxalate food, if you're going to have it, having some kind of dairy with that or some kind of calcium with that is going to help to stop you from absorbing it. Now, that's assuming that you your gut is kind of not too leaky. If you've got a leaky gut, then that doesn't necessarily work. But ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that dietary calcium or supplemental calcium, if someone can't tolerate dairy, then supplemental calcium before a meal which contains high oxalate is going to be protective. OK, another thing, again, again, there is kind of certain probiotics, which are what we call protective kind of thing, because they, they help to degrade oxalate in the gut. What, what's important to note, and we haven't really experienced we haven't really gone through this is that basically the body will do what it can to get rid of oxalate. Okay. And so it does this generally in cycles and the way that it knows when to get rid of oxalate is when the blood level of oxalate goes down a little bit. So basically when you eat a food, then when you digest that, you're going to liberate some of the oxalate and that's going to push up when it, when it's absorbed into the blood, it pushed up the blood oxalate level. Now, when that's consistently high, your kidneys are not going to continually filter that because your kidneys can only deal with so much. It causes lots of oxidative stress. So what happens in that context is you are going to be continually storing this oxalate. Right, right. It's, However, like, it's like building up and then let the trap door go sort of thing. I get what you're saying. Exactly. So the problem is, is that if you have a consistently high oxalate diet, then you're continually going to be storing it or accumulating it in some people. Whereas... When someone learns about this and they go on to, to a lower oxalate diet, so in other words, they identify the foods which are high in oxalate and they reduce those gradually, what happens is, is the amount of oxalate coming in through the diet inevitably goes down. And what that means is, is that the blood level of oxalate coming from the diet goes down. And when that goes down, the body senses that, the tissue senses that, and they release the stored oxalate. Okay, they release it into the blood. Now, when it goes around in the blood, this is referred to as dumping. So in other words, when you lower oxalate in the diet, your body dumps oxalate. If you continue having a high oxalate diet, your body does not dump it. Right. It accumulates it. So the idea is, is that if someone does have this issue, this is actually one of the main ways that someone can determine whether they do have an oxalate problem or not is when they reduce the oxalate content of the diet, what will happen is they'll go through a short honeymoon period and then generally they will start to dump it. And what happens when you dump it is as you're releasing it from the tissues, it will generally exacerbate whatever kind of health condition or whatever kind of symptom that you've previously had that is caused by the oxalate being there in the first place. So if it's joint pain, then as the 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 tissue is releasing oxalate stored in the joints this will cause pain this will cause inflammation someone might feel feverish it's a healing you know? crisis deep it's a deep healing crisis yeah 
Basically, yeah, basically. So they can go through all manner of issues, all manner of symptoms, depending on what it is. All manner of symptoms. And what's going to happen is the body will either get rid of it through the kidneys. Mostly it will get rid of, rid of it through the gut. It can also get rid of it through the eyes, through the nose, through the mouth through the skin, through the ears, can come out of every single orifice, right? And some people actually report, I've had so many people who say that there's crystals come out their jawline or crystals come out their skin or crystals come out their, you know, kind of, you get a, a small rash and then you actually look and there's lots of little shards of kind of weird glass stuff, which doesn't like, uh, yeah, it's really strange. And some people have actually had this stuff um, like uh, analyzed. It turns out it is actually oxalate coming out of their skin. So it's bizarre. But essentially, yeah, it's the body's way of getting rid of that. Now, when you're dumping it into the gut, as I've said, if you've got some calcium in there to bind it, then that is going to stop you from reabsorbing it. We have this thing called hepatic reabsorption basically recycling so we are everything we dump into the gut oftentimes we, we we reabsorb a lot of it and we don't want to be reabsorbing that if our aim is to get rid of this stuff from the body so actually what happens then is if you've got some calcium there that can bind it if you use certain types of probiotics particularly spore forming biotics such as uh, bacillus uh, subtilis bacillus clausi i think it is and um, some of the other spore formers what they can actually do is degrade oxalate there's various different types i think even lactobacillus can do that yeah. so it can actually degrade oxalate can protect you against that so taking probiotics can help people like this what oxalate is also doing and this is really important this is something about which i haven't really touched on i said that it binds with minerals when it binds with minerals it forms quite a tight bond and so actually if you're dumping this stuff through the kidneys what oxalate generally tends to do is it can cause people to come up become very mineral deficient certain electrolytes so this being sodium potassium magnesium primarily and what it's doing is, is when it's binding it's carrying out through the urine and if you go through a severe dumping episode episode where you cut out oxalate too quickly in the diet and you release a lot of this stuff stored it can really pump up the blood level and basically cause someone to become like acutely hypokalemic which means potassium deficiency so they can go into like to to a and e and kind of think that they're having a heart attack oftentimes they're not they, they you know i haven't seen a case where they do have a heart attack generally it is just potassium deficiency and so what they need to do is actually replenish things like potassium magnesium um and sodium and at the same time um if there is uh, so what would you recommend for something like that like coconut water i could quite coconut water yeah, I mean, coconut water is an excellent source of potassium, but in some of these cases, actually supplemental potassium okay. seems to be necessary. I, I generally recommend, I mean, kind of agree with uh, Susan Owens' Sally Norton on this, is that what they generally recommend is um, citrate. So so the mineral bound with the citrate, so potassium citrate, magnesium citrate, um, calcium citrate. And that's because the citrate, citrate is essentially... Um, a substance which is produced by the body um, and what it can help to do is actually dissolve or break down oxalate crystals calcium oxalate in particular so if the body does have calcium oxalate deposited in various parts of the body or whatever or in the kidneys for instance then citrate can really help to uh, help break that down and kind of dissolve that and help your body pass that so actually this is a great way to kind of reduce pain in some people if they've got severe arthritic pain or severe kind of joint pain giving a high amount of the mineral citrates can really help with that 
Awesome. And so you said calcium, magnesium, and what was the other one you mentioned? Is potassium. Potassium, potassium citrate. Cool. And um, so that's a people, I mean, so in general, even like if people are going to have these foods, maybe having something like a calcium citrate with, with the meal would be a, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calcium, calcium citrate definitely with the meal. Perfect. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that you mentioned there about the in India where they have spinach and uh, cheese. It's it's like people don't realize there's reasons they do these things. Um, for example, you know, you go to Japan, people have sushi and they think, you know, oh, we love the ginger, the flavor, and or the wasabi. It's like there's a reason they have ginger and wasabi with it. It's to kill the parasites that are present in mm-hmm. the raw fish. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when people are doing these things like the, the lemon around the bottle of the corona, they think it's a flavor. It was actually to kill the, the germs that was in the water, you know, to sterilize the bottle. And so these things that people don't understand, they, they've got some reason and rhyme behind them. They're not just, oh, well, the flavor's good, but it's it's something behind them. So people are a bit more aware of these things. So it's quite uh, interesting. I'm surprised. I'd be interested to see... Well, that's it's interesting to see what the uh, what the Chinese or anything had anything to do with that. Uh, or Chinese traditional Chinese medicine has anything like this in terms of the uh, the oxalates as well. Um, well, we we put we put milk in our tea, right? Yeah. Tea is tea is very high in oxalates, and so black tea is is going to be fundamentally really contributing to our overall load. Whereas you know you put milk in your tea and you're going to substantially reduce that burden. Makes, makes so, it, yeah, makes it. So you mentioned <laughs> yeah. before about like um, these fermenting foods as well. You said um, make bioavailable, so things like fermented uh, kefir, um, well kefir is fermented, but that that works. Um, in terms of having the probiotic rich calcium food in your gut yeah i would imagine so i would imagine so yeah. i'm not yeah. sure yeah i mean I, I i think i think kefir generally helps with most things right yeah, if yeah. someone tolerates it then I, I yeah i think uh it's definitely one of the things which we could all probably do more more uh do with more of yeah 100 percent. so so really we've gone through you know just being aware of oxalates um so people can know not to have too many of them um things they can do whilst if they cook it obviously boiling can help with removing the water then you're talking about um combining it with if have something like uh, potassium calcium or magnesium citrate uh, mm-hmm. um then it will otherwise uh, something like a calcium in the food as you mentioned before the dairy with the with the, with the spinach um and if they've got the symptoms what would be your you mentioned if you stopped eating then the body would detox but is there a, go and work work with someone to go through this because would it be quite a painful painful experience was there certain things you can do to help the pain yeah right okay so it's just first of all really important to kind of just clarify that when we say detox it's kind of you know i guess this is semantics but essentially the body is not detoxing oxalate right so there's no if you look at kind of yeah if you you look at the detox pathways in the liver for instance for your listeners we generally have like three phases of detoxification there's very specific pathways so we're conjugating specific metabolites chemicals and things with certain uh, other chemicals so we have glutathione elation we have glucuronidation methylation acetylation all these different pathways whereas with oxalate we do not have a specific pathway to get rid of it right, right. so we don't transform it we don't kind of neutralize it to make it more safe before it goes out of the body we just move it and the problem is there is that we can't upregulate that process through taking any kind of specific detoxification right. agent and at the same time we can't necessarily um 
we're not packaging it up and getting rid of it in a safe way as it's going out the body whichever orifice it, it's coming out of it's going to be causing damage right so, just 100 i wanted to just just quickly because you said you can you can get um you can reabsorb these foods by having quality stuff in like probiotics bacteria in the gut that would be one way to mitigate it out or to get rid of it no Yes, yeah, I mean, it's probably not going to be sufficient, though. Okay. Definitely, you'd want to be using calcium, some form of calcium. It doesn't yep. necessarily need to be citrate, but yeah. But adding those two together, that would be a good a good thing to do. That yeah. would be an ex- That would be an excellent thing to do. Secondly, what you have to understand is that when it's coming out of the gut, it's likely going to be causing severe irritation. So many people that come to me, they generally have rectal bleeding, severe rectal itching, um, kind of uh, diarrhea diarrhea is a major consequence of this because you see if you're getting it into the gut and the body is kind of irritating the gut the the body can basically just say look we need to get rid of this stuff so you know flush it all out and it's you know it's good in that context this generally tends to happen cyclically right so someone goes on a very low oxalate diet something i see quite a lot is someone will just have cyclical diarrhea once every two weeks for no reason they'll have perfect normal stool every other day and then once every two weeks, almost like clockwork, they will just have severe diarrhea and nothing changes in their diet. And actually, in these people, it tends to be that they've been on a high oxalate diet previously. And all of a sudden, it's like their body is cyclically going through this circadian cycle kind of thing of getting rid of this stuff. And they tend to do it through their gut. But what people often find is that when they're cycling through this process, they may get diarrhea. And at the same time, they might also have cloudy urine or their urine might might kind of burn or you know there might be kind of urinary irritation so they might be going to the toilet kind of nine times not feel that they're able to uh, properly kind of empty their bladder kind of thing um so yeah the only kind of thing that you can do to help your body uh, along through this process is you know um is to kind of do what we said replace the minerals sometimes some some vitamins can help so so in terms of if you're looking at the vitamins that oxalate kind of deplete one of those is biotin another one is thiamine b6 depending on the individual context then actually you know someone is going to respond to that potentially but really yeah you just kind of have to sit through it and in some some cases if someone ascertains that this is their problem then they will want to get rid of all of it really quickly so say if they were on a really high oxalate diet they'll want to immediately remove all oxalate containing foods well that's a very bad idea because what that means is is that the, the body is going to dump it yeah dump really quickly and this is when you kind of go into a crisis and so if someone does this and there will inevitably i'd imagine be at least one person listening to the podcast who says right this sounds like me so i'm going to get rid of all the all the oxalates and i always see it every single time i give a talk on this every single time i I, you know i speak to someone about this they do the same thing they get rid of all of it and then what happens is is they go through severe severe symptoms everything gets really bad and the best thing that someone can do in that context is to eat some oxalate containing foods because what that does is it props back up the oxalate level in the blood and it actually stops their body from getting rid of everything and they need to slow down and go at a slow pace so the it's it's more about a gradual very slow reduction of the content of the diet right and if people want to kind of learn about this stuff i mean the trying low oxalates group on facebook is excellent they've actually put together some modules like learning modules like okay what is dumping 
what's the research what's the mechanism what's the symptoms what's the foods all of that kind of stuff and it's very much a kind of comprehensive resource um for people learning about that now of course yeah i mean many people find that they need more support i'll be honest a lot of the times oxalates aren't always like they're not usually the only problem there's usually lots of other stuff going on so it's addressing all of that stuff in conjunction with addressing the oxalate stuff and sometimes a practitioner is necessary for that and there's you know there's a handful you know there's 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 a couple who kind of know how to how to how to address this and kind of how to guide someone through it some people need holding their hand other people just a community of people um kind of to acknowledge or to or to know that they're not alone in this experience is enough because there's there's you know there's communities out there basically talking about their symptoms talking about what they can do to improve it um yeah i don't think there's anything i've missed out i mean there could be i mean epsom salts baths they also come in handy um it provides sulfur sulfur generally helps the body with oxalates helps the body clear it um yeah I think that's that's cool. No, that's cool. We covered we covered a lot. I just wanted to say because for people out there, like it's important. One of the things you said, like at the beginning, this is why these plants. You know, if you've got a healthy gut and you're healthy, your body can deal with them. Not you're generally okay, but but this is why, like, as I said earlier, you know, animals they have teeth or hooves or or antlers or whatever it horns to to protect themselves. Plants don't, and so you've got to be you've got to understand that they have the defense mechanism is built up in in their actual yeah in their body. Or I mean, there's a great book out there as well for this. I mean, it's Plant Paradox, but also people don't realize that plants are actually alive. They can move. They actually are conscious. It's a great book out there called The Secret um, Secret Life of Plants. Don't know if you've read it. Yeah, by Stephen Boomer. Boomer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, the guy's excellent. Yeah. I mean, they they can be used as medicines. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. This is where you got. It's like that little things. You got to know the dose of certain things. You got to know what your body is. And as I always say, and I'll say it again and again, you're a study of one. Okay, so you know you need to look at yourself and understand that just because someone else is isn't reacting doesn't mean you won't or vice versa. Um, I mean, because you, you use plant medicines in your in your clinic or you do with your, your yeah. clients yeah so they do yeah, have benefits indeed. indeed they do they do and so in the right context in the right context and maybe that's something we can have a chat about another time because um been, it's been great we covered a lot and i just want people to understand so where can people find you my man yeah so um i i have a website www.eo nutrition i post a little bit on facebook eo nutrition as well but i tend this past year i've been making a lot more videos on youtube uh so that's kind of a new thing but i've kind of i think altogether i've probably got about 30 lectures on there 30 videos on there and i'm i you know i like to what's it what's, flesh the, out. what's the handle it's, it's eo nutrition on youtube EO as well. nutrition yeah 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 so eo nutrition um and yeah that's where i like to kind of go through the details of I, I do a lot of stuff on oxalates. I've got, you know, other interviews, other mechanistic kind of videos and things like that. Um, and yeah, yeah, awesome. I'll be posting more stuff on there. Awesome, my man. Thanks very much for today, my man. We covered uh, a lot, and I think it's going to blow a few people away and to understand that these, well, oxalates and what they are, what they can do, and how we sh- need to be um, mindful about how much of them we're eating and things that we can do to prevent and also to help the body clear or, or, or dump them so yeah great talking to you Elliot thanks very much and um, I'll definitely be uh, 
getting you back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So there we have it, guys and girls. That was Elliot Overton talking all about you know his his health journey, um, who he doesn't work with, and why, and why a plant based diet isn't the answer for everyone, especially going into the dangers of some of these things such as oxalate. And um, yeah, if you haven't heard of oxalates before the show, you know, I think it's time to have a little look into them and um, just start. If you're not, if you're feeling okay eating them not a problem some people as, as we talk about can get rid of them better than others but it's an accumulation so just be wary of what you're eating and how much of it you're eating and just have a think if you've got some of these issues you think oh my god hmm, i've actually been eating a lot of those foods that contain ox- oxalates maybe it's time just to change up and have a little think about what it is you're eating and where you can make those changes because you know it's something that isn't talked about a lot but we're going to try and give it some more airtime because i think people need to understand that not not everything is made equal and just because people think it's a health food doesn't necessarily mean it is a health food and more of something that's good for you isn't necessarily always the best option so you need to look into it so that was Elliot. we'll definitely be getting him back on the show so don't worry he's um it was a really good good interview, really a pleasure talking to him. It's a fun interview and we've got lots more we can go into and we definitely will. So that's it for this week, guys and girls. As as always, if you are um yeah, if you are looking for help with your health, then we've got a few different options. If you're heading over to www.reviveyourself.co, we've got our shop there full of supplements, high quality supplements and health boosting protocols or equipment i should say like aries tech for the emf blocking devices and our aquatair autofiltration systems as well as supplements from evolution organic the finchley clinic and ancient purity all i all of them i highly recommend you know i wouldn't recommend anything to you guys i wouldn't take myself and if you haven't already got a copy of the chronic fatigue solution you can head over to www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com that's www.thechronicfatiguesolution.com to get your copy now you've got the you've got the hardback version or you've got the option of buying the audio book as i said before i am just in the midst of changing my um, publisher so it takes a little bit longer than normal it should be um 10 working days it could be three weeks then just hang in there if, if you are waiting on one it's been a bit, bit of a long time send me an email to ryan at reviveyourself.co and i'll get back to you and on that actually if you have been dealing with a chronic health issue and you haven't been able to overcome it you know and you're looking for someone to help you through that then you can send me an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co and we can have a little chat book a call to have a chat to see if and how we can help you which i'm sure we can and we'll go from there you know because i know how hard it is going through something um yourself and trying to get to the root of it yourself sometimes it can be like the person just wandering around in the dark um not knowing what to do first especially with the amount of misinformation and conflicting information out there today it can be a real struggle so we can cut through all that and get you on the road to health and happiness so that's it for this week guys and girls I hope you are having a good week and as always stay happy, stay healthy and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. If you're struggling with gut issues such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.